Welcome to the Constructed Futures Podcast. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today, I'm joined by Guy Geyer, the managing partner of FX Collaborative. Guy, thanks for joining me. Sure, it's great to be here, Hugh. Thank you. So, Guy, I wanted to start by way of introduction, just asking you a little bit about what sorts of work you do as a company, but then what, what kinds of things you personally focused on. Okay, well, FX Collaborative is uh, about a 150-person firm, and we do architecture, interior design, and planning work. And, um, you know, our client base is fairly diverse. We do a lot of work for developers, both in residential, multifamily residential, as well as uh, commercial office buildings um, and master planning. Uh, But we also do higher education work and institutional work for uh, museums and uh, performing arts centers. And, And we do corporate work, a lot of workplace uh, interiors fit up. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of other things in between that, but that's the bulk of our work. So it's a very diverse practice. Yeah. And what's your personal focus? Well, I, I, as managing partner, I get to do a lot of different things, (laughs) so that's (laughs) good. But, but I I think the major focus for me is on, uh, workplace and corporate, uh, projects as well as institutional work for higher ed and, um, some other institutional work. We do a lot of work that's sort of halfway in between institution and workplace, which is a lot of uh, not-for-profits. So I've done uh, office headquarters spaces for organizations like the Audubon Society, and uh, we're just beginning work on the Center for Constitutional Rights, and I'm doing office space for NYU Langone Healthcare System. So it's it's not the typical kind of workplace work in many cases where you're doing it for large corporations. Uh, a lot of it is more uh, mission-driven and, and, and institutional clients that need um, administrative space, office space. So it's it's good because those people are interesting people to work with. Um, I'll bet. And, uh, you know, as as they are mission-driven themselves, it, it then becomes a question of how do you take that mission of theirs and kind of embed it into the design um, of of the project and have that be part of the you know, the brief for the project itself. Interesting. So their so their mission and what they what they care about becomes part of your creative process. Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. So, uh, yeah, we we did a project for the Rockefeller Brothers Fund a few years ago, and we've done some subsequent work for them as after that. But we did their office space of the Upper West Side and and. You know, their philanthropy started in the 50s by the uh, Rockefeller family. Obviously, they were originally funded by all the money they made from oil. <laughs> right. but, but, but recently, I mean, they have pro- programs all around the world, but recently, the last few years, they've divested themselves of all of their investments in oil-based uh, uh, investments. So... So, you know, when we were doing that project, this was just the beginning of, of that process. And so to to take them through that transition as an organization and also kind of think about what that means to their office space itself. And we did a highly sustainable, highly energy efficient lead platinum project for them that uh, really became one of a, a you know, a, a demonstration project, if you will, for their commitment to 
towards sustainability. That's an interesting one. So, so especially, I guess, if the mission relates to uh, environment or or other things, um, it's it's even easy. Well, not easier. It's more obviously um, something you can reflect in architecture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the National Audubon Society's headquarters was similar in many ways because obviously they have a very strong mission that's environmentally uh, focused, and so. The space itself, the materials we chose, uh, the way we organized it, everything was was really driven by what their vision of uh, of themselves was and continues to be, and and their their overall mission. And uh, uh, it was, you know, they were great client to be involved with. Uh, so, when you think about projects like that, um, how how is the the public been involved in that? Well, in those cases, since they were interior workplace type projects, it wasn't so much a public uh, process uh-huh. uh, because it was really just their staff and membership that was involved in their boards. Um, right. More broadly, but, though, it's in, in thinking of your projects, how, how does how does the public get involved in, in the process? Well, you know, many of the projects that we do, especially development projects that are large scale, have to go through uh, public review. Um, uh, many of our projects are as of right, meaning that they're they're within the allowances of the zoning ordinance, and so uh, it reduces the amount of public review that has to happen. But but many of the projects that we're involved with go beyond as of right and have to go through the uh, Department of City Planning and a process called ULERP, which is the uh, land review process in New York. And so those are all public hearings. Uh, Also landmarks, we get involved with a lot of projects that um, involve landmarked buildings. So we have to go through uh, uh, approval process with the Landmark Preservation Commission. And so all all of those kinds of projects as well as projects that just normally have to go through community board approvals and, and such that we do end up with a significant amount of public interface and input into the, into the project. And um, so that's been a, that's, that's always been a challenging process, but it's become in many ways more challenging given the pandemic and uh, that many of these Organizations have shut down their review processes through the last few months. Interesting. Well, so when you think about the the kind of voice of the of the public, does that, t- given that that it's often the case that people that you know care about something might might notice it, but something that are people that are angry about something tend to do something, yeah, you know, tend tend to act on it. Have you yeah. found o- over time that the that the, the you know public interactions tended to be to favor the negative? Well, I think when public hearings were in person uh, and people had to show up in person to, uh, you know, state their opinions uh, that it's just the nature of the beast in a way that, that the people that come are going to be tending towards the ones that are against a project as, as, as in in contrast to those that are uh, in favor. And uh, so what's been interesting though 
since the review process in New York was basically shut down by the pandemic and just starting to reopen over the last month or, or so. Um, and we've been doing uh, reviews, public hearings, uh, because the, the governor changed the law and um, allowed for um, public hearings uh, to, to, to happen remotely. Uh, that the amount of participants, number one, has increased significantly. So uh, and we're hearing this from city planning and from landmarks that the number of people logging on to their hearings is far in excess, <laughs> like multiple right. times in excess of, of the number of people that would typically show up at a public hearing. Uh, and what we've also experienced in the hearings that we've had is that there seems to be at least a, a more balanced uh, degree of input from the public, um, both in favor and opposition. So, and and you know you you expect people to be critical and and have opinions, and that's fine. Uh, but but it seems to have been more more of a balanced uh, representation. Uh, because it's easier to participate, and right, I think that's right. uh, that's that's one of the things that. Um, uh, actually, I was uh, listening to a webinar today with Marissa, Marissa Lago, who is the chair of uh, city planning, and she was saying that you know while this remote these remote hearings have been uh, instigated because of the pandemic. And it's been successful because it's been successful and because they do have, in fact, higher degrees of participation, that they're they're looking forward to trying to keep this in a, in, a, in, a, in practice going forward, even when hearings are open again to the public in person. So they want to try to develop a more hybrid model because they found that the amount of participation is so much higher. Uh, you know, it takes time for someone to go down to city planning and wait for the meeting to start and find a chair and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's a and commitment. It takes a lot of time. It's a big time commitment. And, and it's a commitment. You have to, you, once you're yeah. there, you're there as you're opposed there. to logging right. on and you can log back off and get a sandwich. Right. Exactly. And, 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 uh, and, and also my partners who have been involved in this have also mm-hmm. found that the meetings themselves, the hearings themselves are run much more effectively because Interesting. You kind of have to follow the rules of order a little yeah, yeah. more strictly. The peanut, the peanut gallery yeah. can't take over. Yeah, and and so that so so because of that, the, the the meetings are more disciplined and more organized, and things seem to to you know move forward more effectively. So, um, I think it's been a really interesting uh, uh, change to the process, but one that I think you know we're we're learning is pretty effective in, in all the you know very positive way. Uh, and, you know, we were never really sure how those were going to turn out, but they've turned out to be excellent. Yeah. Well, I mean, particip- more participation on the face of it is better, but but more balanced participation. It's probably too early to say, but do you feel like this is going to help cities like New York that have a pretty active population, but even beyond that, um, beyond New York, to to kind of upgrade and, and, you know, kind of progress as a, as a, as a built environment? Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I would hope that that what we're learning uh, about 
these tools and how effective they are can be applied longer term. And we would keep them more as part of, you know, permanent uh, part of our toolkit. And I would hope that in other jurisdictions that they would learn as well. I mean, there are, there are other places uh, outside of the city. I mean, you know, the city has a zoning ordinance, so you basically have to follow the rules. And if you do follow the rules, you have an as of right project and you go through the, you get a building permit and build the project. You don't have to go through a lot of public hearings if, if it's as of right. But in other places, I live in New Jersey and every town and municipality in New Jersey has planning board and every project, no matter what it is, whether it conforms or not, has to go through the planning board approval process, which is ultimately a public hearing process. Right. And one would think that these same kind of tools can be applied to those hearings as well, where, you know, if buildings being built in my town uh, and um, I don't, I can't for whatever reason, and you know, whether it's uh, time or, or accessibility, I can't get to the meeting uh, that I could log on and I could express myself and give my opinion or at least hear the presentation and know what's going on. And I, so I think that that's, that's going to be a big benefit to the whole public hearing process. Yeah, because I mean, as as we think about the built environment more broadly, um, not invented here, or sorry, not in my backyard, excuse me, um, but also just general um, public opposition to to various things, whether they're really big things like airports, which often are urgently needed but really really hard to get done, down to you know smaller things. A lot of times it, it is it is you know public opposition that can slow things down. Now, obviously, sometimes that's 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 justified. For some but if, reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what they're there for: is to keep you know really bad things or or you know things that might seem like a good idea for five years but aren't for fifty um, yeah. from happening. But I'll at the same going. time, yeah. But but I mean, I guess that's that's what I, I was attracted to when we originally spoke spoke about this is that to the degree. Um, there's a more balanced um, representation of people that are are, are weighing in. Um, you're going to get hopefully a more balanced, you know, assessment of what's being what's being proposed. Right, and I think you know ultimately it's the whether it's the landmarks commission or the city planning commission. Those those commissioners, those folks that sit on those panels and have to ultimately make a decision in favor or not for a project. The more representation, the more opinions they can hear from the public, the better. They'll be more informed. Uh, whether or not their opinions are moved one way or another is, you know, may or may not be the case. But but the more information that they can get about what the public feels about the project, I think the better they feel about voting in favor or against the project and, and the justification for doing that. Has this has this led to things being sped up, or is it is it just the process? I mean, it's only been a couple of months well, too. But right now, uh, there's such a backlog. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, of, of of projects that need to go through the approval process, that I it'll it'll be interesting to see now as they kind of really have ramped this up um, uh, through the what's called the New York City Engage program um, that we'll see how quickly they can kind of clear their backlog. Um, I think their intent is that this will help clear the backlog faster and get projects through the pipeline and approved and, 
and going uh, because they recognize, as we all do, that getting projects um, through approvals gets them out to bid and under construction and people to work and all those things. Yeah, so, yeah, and all the so, economic activity. Yeah, yeah so so they, they want to do everything they can to uh, keep the projects flowing. So I think it will be interesting to see now what you know what the time frames are, how fast they do get things through, and and whether that's an improvement over the um, the old <laughs> the old process. But yeah, I I, I, I truly believe it will be uh, more expeditious. Yeah, I mean, this feels like one of those one of those areas where the new normal of of kind of virtual interaction has has some upside. Yeah, and and you know if, if we can speed things up, but but not cut any corners. That that's the ideal situation, right? We don't we don't want to speed things up just and and then find out that something was missed. Uh, something's been missed, or or people have been left out uh, of the process. So I think if we can find if this leads to speeding the process up, but still allowing for full engagement, then then I think it'll be a good thing. So I, I want to shift gears. We talked kind of at the the end of the well, part towards the end of the architect's process with approvals. Well, what about the other end? So so actual creativity and collaboration. I mean, you know, the way that you do and your your company does what they do has obviously been upended. How have you found virtualized teams working? Well, we, we it's been pretty effective, uh, uh, and you know there are there are. Uh, pluses and minuses, obviously, you know, uh, I think we were able to do a pretty quick gear shift into this remote working mode uh, when it happened back in March. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like ages ago, um, because we had done a lot of uh, preparation for this, not because we thought a pandemic was happening, but because we knew that the future of work was going to be more, of this kind of flexible uh, work arrangement. And we were moving towards um, a model in our office to allow people to have more flexibility in setting their own schedules of when they would be in the office and when they would be working from home or working remotely, only because we were discovering that, you know, so many people had um, issues with daycare or childcare uh, other issues, you know, family issues, uh, just life, right? And the work we were we were preparing ourselves to have a, a give our people a more balanced work life uh, capability. So, so we had gone, and we are we are moving our office this fall uh, to Brooklyn, where we're on 19th Street in Manhattan right now, but we're moving to downtown Brooklyn. And so, as part of the prep for that move we were really looking at, okay, uh, what do we have to do to allow people the flexibility of uh, coming to the office uh, on a regular basis, but managing their, you know, managing their time there. And when they're not there, how can we give them the tools that they need to, to work remotely? And, um, and so we, we had put into place a lot of the technology that, you know, we, we are now, really using uh, uh, in a significant way, but we had already put it in place. And actually a week before we decided to not come to the office anymore, uh, back in March, we had actually run a test 
trial day where we told everybody to stay home for a day and log on and see if everything works. <laughs> and it did wow. work. It was, it was a great success. Uh, everybody was able to log on to their, we have you know a bunch of virtual machines and, and we use Splashtop and a few other things that allow people to actually from their computers at home, log on to their work computer. So it's as if right. you're working on your actual desktop. So, so uh, for the graphics, the graphics heavy stuff, you can still yeah, use. So all the that. graphics heavy stuff was all being driven by the computers in the office. And all you were doing from home were, was basically an interface that connected you to, to that computer. So you were seeing on your screen at home, what you would have seen on your screen at the office. Um, and so it, it worked uh, extremely well just in the trial run. And then a week later, we were, were like, okay, guys, <laughs> uh, you're not coming into the office uh, you know, for this foreseeable future until we know what's happening with the pandemic. So um, everybody had already kind of done it, you know, tried it, knew that it would work, and we got up to speed very quickly and able to do the work. So um, – the kind of production side of things was not difficult. The communication side of things was not difficult because we all knew each other. So in getting on a Zoom meeting and communicating over Zoom wasn't really that strange because we knew people, we knew who they were, and you, you, you know the communication was pretty good. Um, and uh, the the big trial came when we started to have design work to do new new projects that yeah. we fortunately were winning some new projects and and how do you get that same level of collaboration when there's kind of a you know to use an old metaphor you know blank sheet of paper in front of you <laughs> what, right what, what what how do you you know start and how do you do that with the team and um, but again, what we were able to do was in using Zoom and and Microsoft Teams and uh, other applications that we had, we were able to develop a pretty collaborative uh, workplace where people would sketch and share sketches back and forth. Uh, you know, that were being drawn electronically, not on a piece of paper. Although some people were sketching on paper and then shooting it with their iPhone <laughs> cameras and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and emailing them or posting them on Bluebeam or whatever they wanted to do to, to share the information. And it, the, 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 the sharing part of it went pretty well. And so we've, we've um, had a few competitive uh, proposals where we had to do designs as part of the process that we've won. And we've gotten projects off the ground uh, that we've won uh, as well, you know, starting design from scratch and, and and developing things, and of course we we use everything right from the beginning, whether it's Grasshopper or uh, um, or Revit or whatever, to to generate uh, our our projects in three dimensions right from the beginning, so we can also generate three D models and things for you know images and views and uh, all that for our clients to see and our teams to see, our, but our, ultimately our clients to see that describe the projects. And it's, it's, it's been pretty dynamic. And I, I have to say, even what, you know, in terms of our clients themselves, uh, I mean, they were all in the same 
but we were right. They weren't in the office either. They 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 knew that we couldn't come and present right. in person. Right. Um, so they were very supportive as well in terms of uh, you know uh, how we were presenting and and the kind of information we were presenting and um, the feedback in their cases was it's not, not, you know, not dissimilar from the kind of public hearing thing where you're presenting to a client over, uh, over zoom and they're, and they're reacting. Uh, but, but in many cases they were more interactive too, because they could pick up their stylus or, or sketch on the screen and, um, you know, give you feedback about, give us feedback about uh, the project that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have done that in the same way if we'd just been in their conference room at the office. So uh, it, it, be, it generated a very dynamic uh, give and take, um, not just with our teams themselves, but with the clients and, and of course, consultants too, and marking up drawings and reviewing things and moving things along with our MEP consultants, our structural consultants, it's uh, it's it's been very uh, been used very you know in a very facile way. So, so I mean, what sounds like is the upside anyway so far is that that it's removing just like it was with the public hearings as you were saying, it's removing barriers to participation, which means people that you right. normally would have liked to have been there but maybe they couldn't all make it, more of them can now. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I and I and I think that you know. Longer term, as we come out of this, a lot of what we've adapted to in terms of this process, we will not just adapt to, but we will kind of adopt it now as standard operating procedure. Because I think when, you know, whatever we return to, whatever new normal we return to, uh, I think a lot of clients and consultants and our teams will say, hey, you know what, why, why do we need to spend all this time traveling Right. Meetings. Right. Why do we have to spend all this money uh, traveling to meetings? You know, clients out of town, clients who pay our travel expenses and hotel rooms and all that. They're going to say, well, okay, instead of 10 meetings in person here, why don't we do you know, three meetings in person and the rest of them we can do on Zoom and we'll save a lot of money uh, in not, not having to pay your reimbursable expenses. Right. And and in fact, I think, you know, aside from the saving the money part, I think that some of the meetings will be more productive as a result of that. I agree. And and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not advocating at all that we continue to be 100% remote, both in terms of our own practice and, and our teams and how we work together or with our clients. I mean, I, I think uh, we, we have lost a little bit in terms of uh, collaboration. There is a bit of a friction loss in working this way. So being back face-to-face will be important to some degree, but it won't right. be, it won't, the need to do it 100% won't be Well, won't there's something, there. There, yeah, I mean, all the, all the, not all, but most of the creative kind of consultants and theorists will tell you that prototyping and, and having a physical thing to look at can be an important part of the process. And that's obviously not so easy to do over Zoom. Yeah, that's the one thing that we really are missing. I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day and, you know, we're moving, as I said, and we have a model shop in our new space. We have a model shop now, but, but and you know, we, we were always 
very, uh, you know, we liked building models. We liked building physical models, uh, whether they were little study models, 3D printed models, or big fancy models that we used. For our presentations, we we liked building those models uh, because it gave you a much better understanding of what the what the building was all about, what the space was all about. And uh, we haven't been able to do that. And I think uh, so. But somebody said, "Well, do we really need a model shop?" <laughs> and I I think the consensus opinion was yes, we do because you know this has been one piece of the process. I think that everyone has missed. And uh, including clients where you, you know, when you come to a meeting and you put a model of a building down in the middle of a conference table, I don't, there's nothing that can kind of replace that. And they feel better about the decision, right? Because they feel like they understand it better. Yeah. And, it, and it, it feels like a real thing. And even though you're presenting 3D images and, you know, they can be fully rendered and they look great. I mean, it's not... Not the same. People can't pick it up and look at it and kind of look at it from different angles and all of that. And there's there's this kind of um, look that comes over a client's face when you put the model in the middle of the table and unveil it that, uh, you know, just <laughs> can't, can't really be replaced by digital uh, representation. And um, so, and, and that goes, I think, with us ourselves in terms of the way we like to study projects. Yeah. I mean, you can take a model and pick it apart and put it back together and try things. And although you can do a lot of that digitally too, it's, there's something about that kind of. Well, I would, I would assume that an artist tends to be, uh, sorry, an architect tends to be a, a 3d thinker anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, oh, that, that's, that's why, why yeah. you're not doing other forms of, of creative and design. Right. Right. And, um, yeah, I think you know architects are 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 creating something. I mean, there's a art and a science to it, but you're creating something for somebody else to use, as opposed to other artists who are creating something for other people to hopefully appreciate. But they're not going to inhabit that piece of art. That right. art is going to exist on a wall or in a space, and people are going to look at it and appreciate it. But it's not something that people will use. And so it's a, it's a very different kind of a exploration. So when, you, when we think about what we, some of what we just talked about, have you guys thought about, and it sounds like you have, I just like to talk a little bit about what do you imagine the, let's, let's assume there's a, there's a, a vaccine in some reasonably short amount of time in you know, yeah. spring, spring of next year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But let, let's assume that, because that, that day will come at some point. We, we all hope it'll happen quicker, oh, yeah. but it'll, it'll happen Absolutely. when it happens. And it, so at that point, your choice will be, we can be as, as, you know, as back to normal or back to the old way as, as we want, or we can choose to do something new. And some of this also, though, I, it, it, you could argue that there's going to be slowness to go back to, uh, and be around people just from a, a, not quite phobia, but just habit standpoint. Yeah. Let's assume that gets worked out too. Have you thought at all about about you know what what how you would want to work kind of a hybrid hybrid way of working? Well, I, yeah, I definitely think our attitude is that it will be a hybrid model. That um, the office will be more a place for kind of focused uh, collaborative work, 
where teams will, you know, organize themselves. Okay, guys, we have to deal with this project in a certain way. We have to talk about some issues. We need to all be in this place at this time together to, to focus on this. And, um, and, and teams will come together for those kinds of uh, exercises. And then, and then they may disperse. Right. Like they may then go back and rather than going back to their individual workstations in the office, they may say, okay, well, fine, you know, give me a day or two to look at this. We're all going to go and look at it. And they may work from home during that period of time, or they may work from inside the office, but um, they may not have a dedicated uh, desk that they go back to. It may be more of a, you know, uh, unassigned workstation and things like that. I think that that, that kind of flexibility is going to be the way of the future. Right? I, and I think, I wonder if, if that speaks to the, the, where the, the, the center of gravity of a, of a professional will be. Do you know what I mean? It kind of implies if you're saying that there's a, a desk that they're not assigned to, um, that they can just use if they need it, and they could go down the road to whatever successor to WeWork there is, or they could do it from, <laughs> from home. But it implies that the, the center of gravity of their personal kind of product is home you know what i mean like well, like they keep it, your files at home i mean is that is that right or is or well, have you thought think, a little bit? you know i think keeping files everybody's you know one of the other things we've learned about this through this whole process is we don't need paper <laughs> um so files are going to exist uh on a server and we're not going to you know i mean we're not we're just not printing anything so does and that so, that kind of implies there isn't a center of gravity anymore that it's it's sort of it, it's it, the things that you need to do your job are primarily living in the cloud anywhere and yeah. yeah they can ex- they exist virtually and so you can do it anywhere but i but i think that uh, the office will be more a center of the firm's culture because um, <clears throat> you can't I, I i we're very fortunate that when we went into this remote working phase you know, we, everyone had been working together. So we all knew each other. We, there was a firm culture. There were employee resource groups of, you know, our women's group and our LGBTQ group and our diversity group. They, they, they'd all been doing wonderful things and working as, as teams and our project teams had been working together and people had been generally, you know, working uh, in various ways together, so they all knew each other, and so going <clears throat> to this remote world uh, was not that difficult because they all knew each other. But as firms grow and as new people come, and some people go, and you know, the people are not, not going to always know each other. There are going to be new people. There were a few people we've hired uh, during this that you know it, they, they've done a good job in transitioning and onboarding, but. Uh, it's it's difficult for them because they don't really have a sense of the whole, and right. so I think that the office space itself will be more of a kind of cultural uh, nucleus for the firm, where people will come and and you know when we have office meetings again in person, and we have other activities and things are happening, and uh, 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 we'll 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 organize opportunities for everybody to be there at the same time, even though it may not be, uh, you know, all the time. So um, that I think is going to be a very 
that that's going to be very important for us in terms of how we use the office. One of the one of the ways that people think about what should or shouldn't be in a company is is a, there's a whole thing called Coase's theorem, but it's the idea that we have companies because the the transaction cost of people working together is lower when they're in one organization, and when that's not true, they may not need to be in the organization. Now, that doesn't always follow quite like that, but this feels like there's a a moment when companies can think again about what they have in a company in in their company and what they don't yeah. because if 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 you don't need to have everything co-located so the tra- the quote unquote transaction cost of moving content and files around is is much more more virtual and and therefore you know fluid that you might re- be thinking about what you have in your company and what you don't and and you know what you just talked about is the opposite and that is what makes a company differentiated and therefore makes them have a business is is the people and how they work together so it feels like there's a there's a really interesting how, how do we how, you know what do we want to be when when this all settles down that yeah. that's, that's sort of being kicked around yeah and I think it you know it was really a both and answer um, and uh, you know I, I mean I think cr- creativity especially with the number of people that have to be involved with a project right uh, both internally within our firm and all the other players involved that 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 um you know the kind of social aspect of the creativity is important too that that you know that kind of give and take that occurs across a table uh or within a conference room working on a project and solving a problem um it's hard to replicate that you know exactly on uh, uh online yeah but we, you have to you, know, you have to talk more don't you the energy is is different, and yeah. so so I think, as I said, they're, they're, we'll we'll reach a hybrid. We'll find a hybrid model, and uh, you know it's going to take some time. And when we, even when we come back to the, when we say we come back to the office this fall, uh, we're not probably going to come back, you know, any more than maybe twenty five thirty percent of the staff at any given time because. Um, People are still going to have to deal with uh, life, <laughs> right? Meaning, and getting there. Not I mean, everybody. Getting... Not everybody's going to have childcare sorted out. Not everybody's going to be comfortable getting on a train in a subway. Right. Um, and uh, so, so that, uh, if, you know, for no other reason, that is going to mean that we're going to continue in this kind of uh, hybrid model. Some people being in the office and others not. And then over time, as you said before, with hopefully the arrival of a vaccine and everything, there'll be more and more uh, comfort that people will come back to the office. But I think by then also we'll have experimented long enough with this kind of hybrid model of some people in and some people not in the office that we'll find that it'll be pretty successful and 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 it'll become the new standard operating procedure. And it's- yeah, this is happening long enough that people are going to get good at it. Yeah, right. If it was a month or two, yeah. maybe some, but but you know, essentially, it'll have been you know a, 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 the better part of a year for sure, and probably yeah. really a, a year. Right. Um, and, it's amazing. And, you know, when, I, I, when I was in the office, even before all of this happened, and I'd walk around and I'd look around, <laughs> you know, half the desks were empty under the so-called old normal, right? right. 
uh, because the people are out in the field. They're, I mean, we, you know, we have to deal with construction. So people are out in the field, walking job sites, dealing with stuff out in the field. Um, uh, a lot of other people were at client meetings or other things. That, so the, the reality is that the office was only being used about 50%. And the, the spaces that were under the most pressure were conference rooms because that's where yeah. people had to get together. Right. So I still think that'll be where the pressure points are. And it'll be less about individual workstations and more about, you know, those convening spaces where we'll need uh, to get teams together and, uh, and work. That's an interesting idea. Thinking about what the, what the office of the near future might look like is that it's likely to have a lot more, presentation and and you know joint spaces right. that are somewhat i mean again i think there'll be pressure even if it's subconscious to to continue to socially distance to some level you know so so you won't be using small conference rooms quite as comfortably as as ones that have a little bit more room in them yeah uh, but i, mean, I think we'll, ultimately we'll the office space itself will be to, for those kinds of yeah. things to occur right yeah for, for people to come together physically to work on project problems and solve them together and then go away. Whether they go away, as I said to, before, to their workstation uh, in the office, or whether they go away to Starbucks, or whether they go away to their house, uh, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I thought in and in New York, even in the year or two, you would know this much more clearly than me. But in the year or two leading up to to the pandemic, I heard a lot of companies talking about wanting to, you know, those obviously that had a lease coming due. They were most of them, even though they were growing, were thinking about a smaller space anyway. So again, I sort of like where you were is that this was this was a a trend that was going to probably not get to the level it will, but it was happening anyway. Yeah. Well, you know the the trend had been uh, it had been mainly uh, driven, I think, by you know real estate costs, and so most corporations were driving down their square foot per person. And so they were looking at ways to allow for flexible work and remote work anyway. So, you know, especially if you look at a lot of the large consulting firms or, or, or other professional service firms where a lot of their staff wasn't in the office every day anyway. So there was a, there was already um, a sort of baked in attitude about reducing Square feet per person and reducing footprint, uh, uh, and and so now this has been kind of driven uh, even harder, and you know organizations are realizing that remote work actually does work and people can be productive, and so now they're questioning, well, what do we need office space for? Right, right. right. But but I think what they're going to find is, and we're already hearing, you know, some of it's anecdotal and some of it's more scientific is that, you know, people do actually want to work together. They actually, you know, we're, people are social beings. Yeah. You know, the humans are social beings. We want to work together. And, it's nice to be part of something. Yeah, yeah. And you want to be a part of an organization. So they're going to want a certain degree of that. And so saying, you know, like some companies say, well, we don't care if you never come back to the office. Right. I think the reality is they may not care if they come back to the office, but the people will want to come back to the office. So they're going to have to come to some midpoint and then uh, the kind of space that they come back to is not going to be the same because yeah. as said with us, we're going to look at it more like it'll be more fun to the office is for the collaboration and the kind of spaces that are going to support that 
Right. And so that's what's going to be required in a lot of the work, workplace design. And, um, you know, the actual square footage per person, even though there are fewer people coming into the office at any given time, the square feet per person may actually go up. Right. So you have fewer people, but more square feet per person, and it may end up that the total utilization of area is exactly the same or, you know, something relatively the same. So let me, um, let me take a, a, a left turn. Um, how have you found collaboration with, with – well, you mentioned MEP uh, consultants and some others in an earlier part of the conversation, but broadly in terms of, of executing projects – have you found that you're, um, you know, interacting differently with the construction construction companies and whether that's the GC or, or some of the, the, uh, the sub-trades? Have you found that this has changed your interaction or is it p- pretty much the same but virtual? No, it's definitely changed it. Uh, and a lot of it has been, you know, driven by the fact that, you know, job sites were for a while they were shut down. Right. Then they reopened for <clears throat> essential uh, workers, and then you know other projects reopened as well. But uh, we were very concerned about putting our people into those situations, and um, so we really started to uh, work with our general contractor and construction management uh, friends to find ways to uh, do virtual tours, doing virtual walkthroughs, virtual punch lists um, uh, to to address on-site issues without being physically on-site. And um, that has worked pretty well. Uh, and, um, uh, of course, most of the projects now uh, that were in construction are back in construction. Uh, and the GCCMs have kind of figured out what they have to do to keep job sites safe. So people are going back on the job sites and, you know, physically going back now. But what we're finding is that there's a lot more use of virtual information sharing, right? That it's not like a, not like a project architect has to jump out of their seat and run down on the site to look at something because this says we need an answer now. Um, They can do it virtually. Uh, and we can kick it around and figure out what the right answer is without having to do that, which, which you know, uh, is saving time because you, you really are getting an instantaneous answer. You don't have to wait for somebody to get there. So and, um, it's and it's has that increased? Good. Has that increased the frequency? Are you are you interacting with them more since again, just like we've explored in some other places, the the kind of friction of of connecting is so much lower than than getting someone to get in a car. Yeah, I think I think we are. I think there's some things that are making it's making it much easier. The communication is, you know, more ongoing. Right. It's not scheduled as much. It's more free flow, which I think yeah. is fine. And we're and we're doing other things that are, you know, I I'm doing I'm involved with a big lobby renovation in Midtown and we expect uh, some beautiful stone that is being fabricated in Italy, and of course we can't go to Italy to <laughs> to look at the uh, to look at the stones and pick the slabs and do the dry lay approvals and all that. We can't we can't go to Italy, and 
as much as I'd love to go to Italy and I, yeah. you know, that that's like, you know, that's the, every architect in their career has to get the stone trip to Italy. So, um, I, I'm, I'm sad not to be able to go, but at the same time, we are approving all of this material, uh, virtually with photography and drones and, you know, uh, other people in the plant in Italy that, um, are, are, are we're getting on, uh, you know, Zoom calls or whatever from here and reviewing all this with the, with the owner um, and signing off on all of this, uh, all these layouts and, and stone cuts, which, um, frankly, if we had to do it uh, in a non-virtual world, it would, you know, it would have been time consuming and costly and everything else to do this. And so um, I'm finding that a lot of this uh these virtual processes is, is speeding things up and uh, getting us uh, through the projects much more uh, effectively. So I, I fantastic. Um, so I, I, the last sort of question, and I'd like to sort of sum it up here is if you think about, we've talked about, you know, the, the friction of working together across almost every dimension of what you do changing and, and, and will be, you know, being reduced and, and some of your processes changing. If you had to think about how architectural practice, and, and as as widely defined as you want, might change in the in the coming years, what do you think? What do you see coming? Well, I would say that uh, as has already been happening, there'll be more and more of an integration of design, engineering, and construction, and the information flow. Uh, Will, will improve in that regard. And, uh, you know, we've been working in that direction for a long time, but I think that, um, uh, you know, old habits die hard <laughs> and it, it takes, it, it takes a good crisis to force you into new patterns of behavior. <laughs> yeah. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know? the, the old, the old and, phrase and about wasting a good crisis, right? Don't waste a good crisis. Right. So I think that what we've learned in, in this process is that we've been pushed into these, you know, new ways of doing things that we were maybe resistant to in the past, but we have found the hard way that, that they work. And right. so um, I think that we will continue to do that. Uh, there'll be more, uh, Flexibility, openness. I think the you know CMs and GCs have been more understanding, and we've been more understanding to their concerns um, as as this whole thing is unrolled. Uh, people have actually, even though they're not physically together, they're actually working more closely together right. in many ways. And so I'm, I'm hoping that those kinds of lessons that we've learned and that we we're kind of all on the same. We're all we're on the same side, you know. That that will also uh, change the way we do things. That's fantastic! What a great way to end. Listen, guy, thank you for your time. I've I've really enjoyed hearing your your kind of roll through where we are right now. Well, thanks as well to you, and uh, uh, I appreciate right. having this time to share with you.